The scripture reading today is from Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies." And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely as we are being punished because of our brother, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling. And said, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who was Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. 
Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Mm. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Uh, We traveled down to Connecticut for the day yesterday, on Saturday, uh, to visit my mom and celebrate her 70th birthday. We had a great time. My sister has eight kids, so it's a, it's a party. Anytime we're there, we've got four, so just a lot of us there. And um, the kids had a blast playing outside. And, you know, like any family reunion, there were some tears. There was some joy. There was some conflict. Thankfully, it was between the kids on this visit, right? That's not always the case, right? And family reunions can be mixed. We're going through the life of Joseph right now, uh, this series about his life. And in this chapter, we see a a not-so-pleasant family reunion where Joseph uh, is confronted with the reality of the conflict and and now the presence of his brothers. And here's what we're going to see today. You have to forgive to fulfill. If Joseph is going to fulfill actually the greatest part of his destiny, he must choose to forgive. Now, in this passage, um, we see another theme that's underneath this, and that is that just because the circumstances have changed, doesn't mean that you have. Joseph, um, he has ascended to power. He was in the, the, the deepest pit of his life, betrayed by his family, sold into slavery, started to see some success, falsely accused, imprisoned, interprets these dreams, blesses people all around him, and then is forgotten. He is not remembered. The Lord raises him up out of that in this incredible, miraculous way. He's second in command in maybe the most powerful nation in that area, that region of the world at this time. But just because the circumstances have changed doesn't mean that he has. Now, obviously, through this story, we see Joseph obeying, even in hard circumstances, We see him blessing and and living out his identity. But I would argue in this passage, and you you can disagree, I think the greatest challenge is still ahead for him. The most difficult work is usually in here. And now Joseph's got to face his brothers. Now, last week, Neil Hubacker preached. It an awesome Sunday having Neil back. And the scripture that he read, I don't know if you picked up on it, but Joseph names his first son Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my hardship 
and all my father's house. Another translation, God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Now, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but Joseph experienced a lot of pain. I've, I've read recently that betrayal is, is, is the most painful thing emotionally that you can experience. Where you have an attached relationship and then you are, you are betrayed in that attachment of love or trust. I'm not going to argue that, but I'm just saying there's some deep pain and trauma here for this guy. And he says that the Lord has caused him to forget. And I want to argue with Joseph a little bit too. And maybe that, it, that was the Lord, but his heart has not forgotten. And potentially even his body has not forgotten. That his whole person is keeping score of the trauma that he has experienced. What was Joseph doing all of those years of plenty? You're talking about the second in command, most powerful nation in that region, and for seven years when they're bringing all of the plenty of those years into the storehouses. You don't think Joseph could have sent a courier to go find his father and see how he was? Or could have marched up there with like surrounded by a battalion of soldiers? He chose instead just to shove it, to push it down, to forget what was behind. I mean, if there's, I mean, this guy has all the resources available to him in the world. There's, there, 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 there's, there is, there's nothing preventing him from finding his family. But it says, God has caused me to forget my whole family. I just want to make it clear, that's not necessarily a healthy thing to do. Um, and I also want to make the case that actually, his greatest challenge is ahead, and the greatest piece of the fulfillment of his destiny is actually still ahead. Now, he has saved the world, like the greater world is now saved from famine and obliteration due to starvation because of Joseph interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams. And yeah, that's actually not the greatest thing that he needs to accomplish in his life. Because now that his brothers are on his doorstep begging for food to trade, he has a choice. If he chooses not to forgive and, and decides just to, to take revenge and, and kill his brothers... God's plan to save the entire world is either over or it's going to take a major detour. Because if we look ahead in the narrative, where does the seed of Abraham continue to bring the Messiah? It's through his brother, Judah. This whole story is about Judah. It's actually not about Joseph. It's about the seed of Abraham, the promise that was made to Adam and Eve that one would crush the serpent's head would come through this man Abraham and his family and it's coming through his brother Judah. If Joseph doesn't forgive, 
He might have saved the whole known world, but he's going to crash God's plan to save the entire world. Isn't it interesting that everything for Joseph hinges on his working through the trauma and the wounding in his life to get to a place where he can really forgive these guys. Now, there's subtle things in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew narrative, it's often very subtle. But the the author of this, the writer of this, Moses and the Holy Spirit, are giving us clues into what's really going on. What's the first emotion or indication of emotion that we see in the narrative when Joseph encounters his brothers? He spoke harshly to them. You don't think that this meeting was loaded? I mean, there is some serious anger going on, I'm sure, inside of him when he sees these brothers. And the last time he saw them, can you imagine this? They are binding him up as he's screaming and pleading with them to not do this and selling them off to a foreign land as a slave. I mean, by the grace of God, he doesn't just slit all their throats right now. And then we see the emotion continue. He, he has to leave the room and he's weeping. What is the, all of a sudden, what he hasn't remembered for seven years, right? All the hardship that he's kind of stuffed as his circumstances have changed, but in the inside, there's still a lot of work to be done. Oh, Lord. Right? And we see it for his brothers too. They're on a journey. And you have to understand, Judah is on a journey as well. And his brothers. The guilt is coming out. The Reuben's blaming the other brothers. You didn't listen to me. Now we're in this thing. God's getting back at us because of what you did. They open the sacks of grain. Man, oh my gosh, like my money's in my sack. They get home, all the money's in there. What is God doing to us? We hear the emotion of Jacob. Everything is against me. We got this mix here now for Joseph and the brothers of this interior work, the conflict of the family. You know, you hear the favoritism come out again. He's the only one left as he says that to his 10 sons. Man, that's just a knife in the heart. There's so much dysfunction here in this family. Now, in this last line that Jacob says, I think there's something that the Lord wants us to hear today. Everything is against me. I've said that. When in reality, everything is actually for him. Right? Jacob does not realize in the moment where the story could go and what God has been doing all these years. Guys, it's a challenge of faith. Now, maybe you're in the pit and the circumstances are still really hard. We have a choice to say, everything's against me. There's no chance. There's no hope. The trauma is too much. The grief and the dysfunction of my family is too great. I I can't see a way through. And Joseph's fighting this battle too. He may have risen to power, but man, he's leaving the room, breaking down. 
Just because you're rich and powerful, that doesn't mean that your life's a breeze. Because this is where the real pain is. It's right in here. There's two things the Lord's really wanting to impress on us this morning. We have to forgive and deal with the pain of the past. We have to face the pain. So much energy we expend trying to avoid pain in our life when really we have to face it. Trying to forget it, trying to stuff it. And Jesus is there with us saying, if, we want to see, if you want to see me, you've got to face the pain and you've got to learn to forgive. And it takes faith to say, no, everything may be against me, but God is for me. And that is the greater reality of my life. And I just want to say, guys, that's not easy to say when it feels like everything is against me. And you're not alone in that. Listen to what David writes in the Psalms. Oh, man. I got time to read? Yeah, okay, we're just going to go for it. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Lord is on my side. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. In another place, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Earlier in that psalm, do you know what he says? My soul is downcast within me. He's a mess. He's saying, my soul is downcast. And he starts listing all the things that are wrong in his life. And think about this dude's life. He's running for his life. He had to leave his wife, right, to get away from Saul. He's got his, his son, betrays him. He experiences betrayal. And his advisor, Ahithophel, totally stabs him in the back. I mean, this guy's experienced some major issues in his life. He knows. He's saying, my soul is downcast within me. And then he's saying to himself, why, my soul, are you downcast within me? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the challenge to fulfill the destiny of your life, the calling that God has for you. We have to face the pain. We have to forgive. And it's going to take believing that God is greater than the difficulty you've been through. And I'm just telling you right now, he is. Jesus is greater. He wants to bring freedom and healing to your life. And maybe it's been years of struggling to believe that. And I'm just saying, hey, Jesus is with us. And we are here for you, and we're here for each other, and God is here. The gospel is simple. It's that Jesus is alive. And he wants you to follow him today. So saying, I believe the gospel, is saying Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, it means you can forgive. It means there's a way out. It means that there's hope for the difficulty in your life. Now, talk's cheap, right? So, man, I wish I could just impart to you what I feel in the spirit right now. 
The Lord wants you to know that there's hope. And yes, it involves pain and facing the pain and forgiveness that's really difficult to do. And yet in that, he's with you to bring it about. And that is the linchpin for you fulfilling your destiny. I was meeting with a couple guys this week, and I'll just, let's just get real, right? My back's been hurting again. And I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. Because Jesus is so much greater than that. I had this realization this week. I just was thinking about my kids and, you know, my back and, like, long-term, you know, health, whatever. And I just, I don't have to be my kid's savior. Jesus has got them. I don't have to worry about it. Guys, he is with you. He's with you. He is alive. Jesus is alive. He's moving. All right. I just want to take a couple minutes, give you a chance at your tables to to chat, and then we'll sing one song and close. What's the Lord highlighting to you? Maybe it's just bringing stuff up, and that's hard, and you don't want to talk. That's cool. Okay, that's all right. Maybe it's a piece about forgiveness. Maybe it's just, man, my circumstances are hard. It's, it's hard for me to believe that, Brian, that Jesus is alive because it feels like he's not there. Okay? Let's take two minutes. Is there anything God's highlighting to you or you feel like you want prayer for today? And then we'll have the worship team come back up. So, Lord, I just, Lord, I ask that you would release faith in the room even as we, as we discuss to believe that, Jesus, you're alive. You're doing what you always do, which is release life. So do it today, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God.